0: Well, morning everyone. As we we begin, I I want you to do some honest soul searching, okay? Some honest soul searching. Um, Is there a certain sin in your life, is there a certain sin in your life that you just can't seem to beat, what is it? You know, whatever that sin might be, you just keep falling back into it. Getting tripped up by it. And maybe, You've reached a place where you feel frustrated. You feel defeated. You feel like you just wanna quit. And maybe you're beginning to take that sin, even though you know it's sin, and almost kinda take it on and wear it like a T-shirt. Like it's an identity. It's who you are. It's what makes you who you are. Let me tell you this, my brother or sister in Christ. Listen. The day you were born again, you were freed from the driving forces of sin's power that used to control your life. You're no longer obligated to live that way. Sin no longer needs to master your life. Now you have the Holy Spirit. Which means you can put that sin, I know it seems impossible, but listen, you can put that sin to death. It doesn't need to master you any longer. You're no longer under the power of sin, but the power of the Spirit. And if that's true, and you are here this morning, and you are a Christian, The Holy Spirit empowers you to fight sin. The Holy Spirit empowers you to fight sin and as that happens, the Holy Spirit assures you of your adoption. The Holy Spirit actually assures you, confirms that you are a child of God. So, that's Romans 8 this morning for our text. That's what we're actually going to be looking at. That the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, helps you fight sin. That's your only, that's your only bullet in this game. You know that, right? Like Luther, Martin Luther talked about the bondage of the will. And if you just read there, following along with Ralph, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right? It's impossible, they are in bondage. But if you're a Christian and you're born again, you are free, you are liberated. That used to be your life, not any longer. You know, there are some helpful programs for addicts, right? And I think they've been helpful for some people, not helpful for others. But this isn't a program. (laughs) This isn't a government-sponsored whatever. This is the true reigning, ruling, and living God who actually helps you, causes you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Think about that. But let me tell you this. Life and death hang in the balance here. So let me drive that home for you. Okay, this is not just Oh yeah, cool, cool, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've heard some of this stuff before. This is life and death. This is far worse than the pandemic. You understand? Well, what are what are people most afraid about during the pandemic? Death, 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 death. Okay? This is far worse than the pandemic. If 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 you don't get this and, and this doesn't actually you don't embrace Christ, there there's no hope but if you are a child of God, you can actually turn from sin, you're enabled to do so, you see? So, so I, I drive that home because this is, this is actually serious business we're talking about here. So why don't we look to the Lord, let's pray, and then let's, let's get into this text because it's, it's quite encouraging actually for those of you who are in Christ, it, it really is. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would speak that you would wake up lost souls. Lord, that you would uh, regenerate souls. Lord, for those of us that n- know you, strengthen us. Help us to walk out of here not just with information, but to be uh, equipped by your word and, and transformed. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. I wonder if you've ever heard this before. I wonder if you've ever heard this. I lost my temper. Look, that's just the way I am. I lied. I lied, you know? I just, I have, I just, I'm prone to that. You know, I, I gossip. I gossip, but that's just kinda how I'm wired, you know? My mom did, my sister did. I'm addicted to this, this substance. It runs in my family. I'm just a victim of my own desires. Have you heard people talk like this? Here's something important we need to grasp right up front in this text. Our text today is more about stating facts than it is, you know, so the facts being who we are in Christ, than it is urging us to do certain things. Um, in other words, you don't need to command a fish to swim, right, you don't like it's just, that's what does a fish do? Just, just swims. So, so too, if someone has become a Christian, they're new, they're changed, they have the Holy Spirit. You don't need to twist their arm or guilt them into obeying the Lord. Spiritually speaking, it's now their new nature uh, because of who they are in Christ because the Holy Spirit resides in their life now that's Paul's point if you pick up here in Romans 8 if you have your Bibles there look at Romans 8 verse 12 so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh you see that it's a lot of words there we are debtors and then he he throws this interesting word there flesh you see that Flesh describes our life before we were Christians. It's a realm of human fallenness, a way of living and thinking that's contrary to God's way. So what's this verse saying then here? We're not debtors to the flesh, you see that? If you're a Christian, you no longer belong to this system, this realm called the flesh, you are free. You're not under the power of, of the flesh. You have no obligation to it. If you imagine a a slave and a master, how how much rights does a slave have? None, right? The master says, go, and the slave obeys. But what Paul is saying is, you're actually set free from that. You're no longer under, like a slave, under obligation. You're no longer in this world, the system called the flesh. Which is massive, did you hear? I, I hope that that sinks in. But here's what we tend to do as humans. I say this, or a preacher up front says, you're free, you're no longer in the flesh, you're not dictated by that, you're, you're not under its domain, you catch my drift? And then people go, oh sweet, I can sort of kick my shoes off, maybe have a nap, just relax. Take it easy for a while. But Paul knows that we tend to think that way. And so what does he do? He throws, in this next verse, he throws a little monkey wrench at us, right? Kind of just, you know, you know you're, you just start to doze off. This happens if, if you have four kids, just as you're starting to doze off, if you want to take a quick little nap on your day off, Dad, it's just, it's okay, honey, you do that, you know? But just as you're starting to kind of get comfortable, Paul says, oh, hold on a tick, hold on a tick. Look at the next verse. So he says, so then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Well, that's good, praise God. For, here comes the monkey rich, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Yes, 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 you're in Christ, you're no longer in the flesh, but. If you happen to slip back into your old way of life and refuse to leave your sin, you will die. Now, he's not talking about physical death because everybody's going to die. Everybody in this room will be gone in 100 years, more than likely. So we are all going to die. So, so he's not talking about physical death, is he? No, he's talking about something far more significant. Death in the fullest sense, spiritual death. Remember, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if you profess to be a follower of Jesus and then go back out and give into your sinful impulses, back to your old way of life, what is Paul saying? You are going to hell. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to yell that or anything. I'm just, that's, just what, that's what it's saying. If you slip back into your old way of living, back to your old life, your pre-Christian days, not that, you know, no one's gonna be perfect, but you're saying that you're you're hard to sin, right? You just, you don't really care, you're flippant about it. Oh, well, you know, it's just kinda, of course, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm just gonna do it anyways. Hear God's word, you are going to hell. I don't say that with a smile on my face, I don't say that like shaking my fist. This is just simply what God's word says. Whoa, 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 hold on. I thought we were saved by grace. I mean, has Paul ditched that idea now and now he's gone back to works? No, but he is saying that if you live a life that's committed to the flesh, remember this old realm, even if you profess that you're a Christian you're actually giving evidence that the Spirit is not in you, you see? So when sin rears its ugly head, what are we to do? Well, we resist it, I heard someone say, and that's true, but we actually go on the offense, you see. We actually go on the offense. We have to do something about it, and that's the next, look at the language he says here, next part of verse 13. Look at this language. He says... For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Wow, what language. Put to death the deeds of the body. How? Well, the Holy Spirit actually empowers you to do that. Which I find encouraging. I find like oxygen. Because I can't do it on my own. And so what Paul's saying is you can actually kill sin in your life. If you have the spirit, you have the power to fight and to conquer it. As the hymn Rock of Ages goes, be of sin the double cure. Hear that? Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. If you are in Christ, you're not only able to conquer sin, you must be skilled at Killing your sin. But I wonder if that's how you picture things. If you picture it like a battle, your sin. You know, earlier when I asked you, when I I opened up and I said, I want you to think about that one sin that you just can't seem to beat, whatever it happens to be. I'm curious, as I talk about that sin, I'm curious if you imagine yourself sort of a victim in that scenario. Sort of a victim, you know. Basically, you're trying to live your life for God and this thing just keeps blindsiding you. You weren't looking for it. It just pounced on you like a lion. But don't worry. Don't worry. God will show up and like a cosmic psychologist, he'll come to you and say, It's not your fault. I know the childhood that you've had. It's not your fault. I know people were mean to you as a child. It's not your fault. I know what your parents did. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Listen carefully. James says this. When tempted, no one should say. James 1, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, listen, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. His own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See what the Bible says? It's your fault. You're a sinner, a rebel against God. You, me, all of us. It is your fault. But listen, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, can take you from being a victim to a victor, you see. The Spirit of God can empower you to kill sin in your life. Um, In England, during the 17th century, there was a young man named John Owen. And as early as the age of 12, John really stood out for his commitment to God and to learning. Uh, So much so that his parents enrolled him at Queen's College in Oxford, where, get this, John Owen studied 18 to 20 hours a day. That's pretty normal for teenagers, right? (laughs) Not a minute. 18 to 20 hours a day. I guess guess the dude didn't sleep. But eventually he became a pastor and he wrote stacks of books. People would come to hear him travel from all over England and come to hear him preach. There'd be about a thousand people that would pack out just to hear this guy open up God's word and preach. But all that aside, one thing that really stirred Owen was reminding his fellow Christians to wage war against sin to kill their sin. He preached a sermon series to a bunch of teenage boys at Oxford on this exact subject. This series eventually became a book, about 86-page book, called Mortification of Sin. What a title, right? (laughs) Mortification of Sin. You know, now we have books like Your Best Life Now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? How Far We've Gone Downhill. Into the rubbish heap we've gone. Mortification of sin, right? An entire book, ready? From this one <laughs> little verse that we just read. 86 pages, and you thought my sermons were long, right? 86 pages, one little verse. Put to death the deeds of the body. Now, that was way back in the 17th century on another continent, but listen. Listen how relevant. I'm going to just read this. It'll come up here on the PowerPoint. Listen how relevant this still is for us. He says, suppose a a true Christian finds a besetting sin within himself that captivates him. It consumes his heart with trouble. It perplexes his mind. It weakens his communion with God. It upsets his peace of mind and, and perhaps defiles his conscience. It even begins to harden his heart because of the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're in that space right now. And that's why John Owen asked this. What should he do? How can he struggle to have the power to maintain strength, peace, and communion with God? He will only regain this promise of life in Christ if he mortifies the besetting sin that troubles him. The most saintly believers who appear free from the condemning power of sin make it their duty every day to mortify the indwelling power of sin listen to this be killing sin or it will kill you be killing sin or it will be killing you you're not a victim you are a sinner and like weeds that pop up during springtime like now, you need to rip those things out of your garden or your entire garden is going to look like rubbish. Now here's the deal. There's all kinds of weeds that are going to pop up that you don't know are, that are there, right? But our job is to continually get after them, to be ripping them out from the root. You're not a victim. You're a sinner. Be killing sin or it will kill you. Look what... Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see the contrast? Now, why should we get after that? Is this just legalism? Are we just getting after killing sin because that puts us in a right standing with God? Never. No, 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 no. No, we kill sin in our lives because that's exactly what, what God's children do, you say? It, it's what it means to be spirit-led. Good verse 14. Notice the connection here. For, see the connection? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When someone is led by the Spirit, something supernatural happens. Something miraculous. Something out of this world. Are you ready for what it is? Something amazing, miraculous. This is where all the hallelujah should be th- being thrown out. You ready, drum roll, here it comes. They kill their sin. They stop snapping on their wife and kids. They stop indulging in porn. They stop lying to get ahead at work. They stop living for themselves. That could never ever happen by their own willpower and strength. They could never ever do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, being led by the Spirit has very little to do with some inner impression or mystical experience. It has everything to do with turning from sin, with obeying the Lord in your daily life. Show me someone killing their sin, says Paul, and I'll show you someone led by the Spirit, you see? The Holy Spirit empowers us to fight sin, but we don't do this alone. We're in the fight, we're in this war, but we're in it together as a family. And that's why he says that the Holy Spirit assures us of our adoption. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, the Holy Spirit assures us of our adoption. It's an interesting choice of words here, though. He uses spirit kind of like he used law. Do you remember he used law in sort of a not literal way, but more of like a rhetorical way, the law of sin and death, the law of spirit, and et cetera. He's doing that here. He says, basically, the spirit, quote, you've received is not a spirit of bondage, but a spirit of adoption. You see? How he used spirit is kind of like a rhetorical way. In other words, do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden? And when God comes walking in the cool of the day, what do they do? They hide. Why? Because they're afraid, right? God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And so what is Paul saying here? The Spirit of God creates something in us that vanquishes that fear. So that we're not like Adam. Rather, you know, we're hiding from God. Rather, we are, the, are those who gravitate or run towards God. Why? Because He is our Heavenly Father, our Dear father, my father, dear father. See, that's the term Abba. I don't think Abba means daddy, by the way. And and I've got some great articles if you want to check that out. But it is an intimate term to mean father, my dear father, you see. Why is that? Because you've been adopted. You didn't choose God, he chose you you have been adopted into his family. Think about that. I mean, Paul could have hardly chosen a better term than adoption, could he not, to characterize, as as Doug Moose says, this peace and security. Uh, The word denoted in the Greek and particularly Roman legal institution, whereby we can adopt a child and confer on that child all the legal rights and privileges that would ordinarily occur to a natural child. A friend of mine back in Hawaii, he adopted three kids, two of which were abandoned by their parents. They left them in a tent in the hot sun. And for days, they were, uh, or a day and a half, crying out. And eventually, someone riding their bike past heard screaming of these little babies in a tent. And they were like, and they went, and you know, they were dehydrated, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, Anyway, they went into the foster care system, and my, my friend adopted these two kids. And it was not easy. You can imagine how traumatized they were. But they reached the place where they would, I noticed, it was just a beautiful thing, they knew that they weren't abandoned any longer, because they had a father who loved them. They were part of a new family now, you see? And they could cry out, Dad. And my mate, Matt, who adopted them, was there to love them as their father. You see, we were wallowing in our sin and our death, and deserved judgment. And God set his love and affection on us and drew us to himself. And not only took away our sins, but adopted us in and says, you come eat at m- table you come live in my house because you're my child, you see? And there's, there's privileges with that. You see that in the text? You're a fellow heir with Christ. He is, He's is our older brother. Look, look at this. This is amazing. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So there's privileges here where we're fellow heirs with Christ will suffer with him and will be glorified with him. You see that? And if children and heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. You know, at my house we have kids, so we, you know, we watch Disney movies, right? And some of you have probably seen the old Lion King movie and uh, the cartoon. There's a, a new one now, but cartoon and and um There's an interesting part where Simba, sorry, yeah, spoiler alert. If you're upset about me spoiling the Lion King, I don't know, whatever. So, spoiler alert. So, Simba loses his dad Mufasa, thinks it's his fault, runs off, lives Hakuna Matata, right? And then doesn't wanna take his role as being the king. And, and, Rafiki, the monkey, shows up, who's kind of like a priestly figure or whatever, shows up and says to him, um, who, who are you, right? And, and he goes, oh, uh, uh, you know, no, no, who are you, really? And then he gets this vision where he sees Mufasa, his dad, right? And, and it's in the clouds, and, and Mufasa says, Simba, Simba, right? He says, you, you, have, you have forgotten me. And Simba says, no, no, how could I? And he says, you have forgotten who you are, so you have forgotten me. Remember, you are my son. And then as the vision fades out in the clouds, you you just keep hearing him saying, remember, remember, remember who you are. And that's what the Lord wants to say to you this morning. Remember who you are. You are his child. And as such, we live a certain way. We gladly obey our father who adopted us.